Welcome to Maryland Horse Council Podcast. Today, we're talking with Paige Ensler, one of our board members. Good morning, Paige. Good morning. You are in the car going off and doing your life, which is true of so many people on the Maryland Horse Council board. We are busy, busy people. Yes, we are. How did you get involved in the Maryland Horse Council and the Maryland Horse Council board? So I had a friend and a colleague, Carol Ann Sharp, who had referred me to the board. And I had previously had information received from the board and known of other board members. And I thought it would be very intriguing, not only as a networking opportunity, but also to be able to really further build relationships to professions and areas of horsemanship outside of the draft world that I'm currently in. So currently you have a farm in Kemar, good intention and you raise draft horses, Clydesdales. That is correct. Why Clydes? So I've always loved the Clydesdales. I received my first Clydesdale, goodness, several years ago, and I just loved them. I love the demeanor. They're gentle giants. I love the horse. Most people are familiar with them, Budweiser, with the carriages. And once I had one, I just kept acquiring them, and they're like potato chips. You can't have too many. Absolutely. It's definitely a habit. Did you grow up in the equine world? Or did you come to the equine world as an adult? I came as an adult. So I had always loved as a child the smell of horses and being around horses, but never had the opportunity to own a horse. And then also as a child, I was fascinated and loved farms. So it wasn't until I was an adult that I had the ability to acquire a farm. First thing I did once I had fencing was start to acquire horses. And since then, it's so satisfying. The work is satisfying. It's truly a great lifestyle. So let's delve into this farm a little bit. You didn't grow up on a farm. Did you have farm experience or farm knowledge before as an adult you said, let's do this? I did not. My background is I'm a researcher. I'm a forensic scientist by background. So I researched and I love real estate. So I looked for that piece of real estate that I thought would make a good farm. And then I researched and looked with soil conservation and worked with the USDA and every organization I could to establish appropriate pastures, fencing, water. And then when it came to building barns, I actually, because I had Clydesdales, I actually went out to Warm Springs Ranch in Missouri and I would pour their facility and how would they develop a wash stall? How large were their stalls was in their barns? What supplies would they have? So I think it's a product of the researcher and me to be able to evaluate all the different opportunities and assess what would be best for my area. So if someone in our listening audience goes, I don't know that I can do this. I've always lived in town. I've always been around this sort of thing, but I don't know how to do it. Your answer to them would be just start researching. Just start researching and then everything in life, whether it's your career in forensics or healthcare, is all about the people you know and the resources and subject matter experts around you. I didn't ride a horse previously to owning the farm. So I learned all of that. And I was connected with various people who could help me. And then what happened is when I really zoned in the Brinkins of Chinesdale, I became affiliated with those breeders and those farms that specialized in that. I would visit those farms and understand how would they deal with their feathers, the white feathers on their leg, and manage them as what's the best food and grain for them. So it's just researching and surrounding yourself with great subject matter 
experts in the areas that you have interest in. So you have to know enough that you know the questions that sort of in the area that you need to ask, because like you talked about, feathers, that opens up the horses to certain microbiological issues, growths and fungi and different things of that nature. So you knew enough to ask questions, but you didn't know the answers to all the questions. Correct. And some of it comes about because say you don't know what you don't know and you notice they have a little sore on their leg and you start to ask, well, why do they have this sore? What's creating this sore? How do we treat this sore? And that's when you learn about the mites and you learn about them stomping and scratching their legs and their feathers because they're itching. The more questions you ask, the more you learn and it creates more questions to ask. And then soon you find that you become the expert to also support new owners with clients or questions on how to care for the clients and so forth. So it all comes full circle. The more you know, the more you know, the more you can share. Correct. Absolutely. We have to go here because I think this is just a fun story. You were working, you have a very busy career, and we'll go into forensic science and all that here in a little bit. But your husband was not just out of town when you decided to buy this farm. Correct. My husband and I met at Virginia Commonwealth University. I was a professor of emergency medicine there. So my husband is from this area. I was actually living in Williamsburg. So I relocated here. And the first thing I wanted to do was buy a farm. My husband did not want to buy a farm. He raised sheep as a child, wanted nothing to do with it. He was actually in Afghanistan for a year and honey, I bought the farm. And you're still married, I, right? We're still married. Okay. And he still does not like the farm. But in the process of buying this farm, of course, we need to have a farm home. And so it was the intersection of Kemar Road and Good Intent Road. So I named it Good Intentions Farm because the road to hell was paved with good intentions. I had to deal with hell when he came back from Afghanistan and I had to show him. Oh, you gotta love those conversations. All of that diplomacy came in need right there, I'm sure. Yes, it did. And the same thing with the horses was they kind of just showed up. And what's interesting with someone who is not necessarily into the horses when you have Clydesdales that all look the same, once you have three, it's easy to become four, five, and six because they kind of just blend in. And unless someone's stopping and counting, it can go for several weeks till he notices there's one or more. And then next thing you know, we have a herd and we're, we have a program and many of them, they're part of our family now. Wow. For you, jumping on the board for the Maryland Horse Council really was that networking piece. How long had you had the farm and been in the Clydesdale industry and in the Clydesdale reading programs before you became a member on the board? The farm was acquired in 2013. The Clydesdales came in 2014. And what I noticed with the board is I wanted a strong presence for draft horses because the draft network is very tight knit. Everyone knows everyone and is very beneficial. Official. We're talking about the Percherons, the Belgians, and the Clydesdales. I had lack of knowledge when it came to other equestrian events, such as the Five Star or Thoroughbreds. And I wanted to really reach out and expand my networking to those areas, other equine areas, to be able to learn more. You still continue to learn even outside your specific breed horse population. Absolutely. And the Horse Council represents all of those horse owners in the state of Maryland. One of the things I appreciate about it, I'm a gated horse person. I ride Tennessee walkers and Rocky Mountain horses. And the first time I went to a three-day event, I was so overwhelmed. I didn't even know what to wear, where to go, and what I was supposed to do. But I knew enough to appreciate the athleticism of the horses. 
Absolutely. And I think what's interesting, and when I describe to people who don't necessarily know about horses, you know, you have the draft. And with the draft, you have a high population of the Amish and Mennonite community involved in that because many of those draft horses are used as working horses. And then you have the Western population. And then, of course, you have the eventing, a hunter pace and so forth. They're all very different. But they all have very similar aspects as well. And when it comes to actually the care of the equine and how we manage our farms and how do we manage our barns, that's one of my favorite things to do is to visit barns because you're always learning something new and learning whether it's about nutrition or care or management and organization. Absolutely. I think that's one of the things that attracted me to the Maryland Horse Council was the mission of educating and sharing knowledge and that network. At work. Absolutely wonderful. When we come back, let's talk about how you fit in and what skills you bring to the association. One of the reasons to be a Maryland Horse Council member are all of the networking opportunities. We are so blessed with talented and knowledgeable people all around us here in Maryland and just plain interesting folks doing all kinds of things. Individual and professional memberships provide a platform for learning and exchanging of ideas, promoting growth and development. Why invent the wheel when somebody else has a similar wheel you can learn from? Coming together as one equine community with one voice in the state of Maryland, we all become informed and stronger together. Welcome back to Maryland Horse Council. Today we're talking with Paige Ensler. Hello, Paige. Hey, how are you doing? Good. So we know where your farm is. We know the name of it. We know what you're doing. But who are you? So we've known you in the Maryland Horse Council, but so many folks in the Maryland Horse Council have another life. It's not just horses. We all have something else that we do. What's your other life like? My full-time job is I'm a healthcare executive. And so I travel across the country working with hospitals to reduce a patient's length of stay. So we want to make sure patients are treated efficiently and appropriately and make sure they're not waiting in hospitals, which is creating excessive days. So that's my full job. My experience and my professional background is in forensics. So all of my education, other than my MBA, is graduate degrees in forensic toxicology, forensic DNA and blood serology. I have a graduate degree in criminal justice. My doctoral degree is on criminal profiling. So I think that background in forensics helps to come forward in the healthcare arena to be able to really have a questioning mind, seeking opportunity for efficiencies and investigating areas that maybe other people would miss. And then on the side, I actually also still work as a forensic scientist. And so I'm with the National Disaster Medical System, where I work with disaster mortuary response team, as well as disaster medical assistance team. So the disaster medical assistance team, I was probably the last deployment I had for that team was, remember the COVID and the cruise ship passengers. And this was prior to that really outbreak in COVID. The cruise ship passengers were all placed in federal quarantine at various bases, military bases. So I was deployed to Fort Dobbins where we were taking care of approximately about 300 cruise ship passengers to be able to see if they were going to turn positive for COVID or not. And so following that deployment, I then went back to 
disaster fortuary operational response team. And a couple months later, I was then deployed to Brooklyn in the morgue. We worked as an extension of the medical examiner, New York City medical examiner. And we, at that time, processed about 250 patients a day were deceased coming in from COVID. And so we were basically categorizing them. And as unfortunate as it sounds, they were either stored, refrigerator, freezer, ready for burial over in Hard Island in New York. What a, ver- what a that, varied background. Yeah, yeah. And then prior to that, I was deployed during uh, Hurricane Katrina. And at that time was really identifying, I was the third wave of the deployment there, um, identifying the deceased that had been uncovered following the flood identification, matching who they were with missing persons. So now we understand why you need to come home to the farm and smell the manure and go touch the horses and feed some horses in the evening. Yes, I love it. And when I get off of planes at midnight, i that's the first place I go to the barn and check on all the horses. Oh my goodness. And in the middle of this, you have a family. I do. I have four children. The youngest is still at home. My 16-year-old Brandon is the older ones are grown. My oldest son is a Marine veteran and my husband was a former Army Ranger. What a wonderful story. So you've managed to keep all of these bulls in the air and everything moving along. And so you really know how to balance. And when in the earlier section, you talked about knowing how to do the research from your background and not knowing what a farm would be like, but having a vision for it and where to go get that information, that's where your two lives come together. It's that knowledge and that understanding of how to make a process come into focus. Correct. And so it's interesting with our farm because we initially started as boarding. Now we are more a co-op for our community where I have, because of my deployments, our neighbors will rotate taking care of the farm and their horses will reside there as well. And then we had people from all over the world who would be in the United States, make arrangements to stay at the farm for a weekend. And then what we decided to do was following our exposure to veterans and family history of veterans really start to make the farm now more accessible to veteran experiences. And that's really our primary vision and focus at this time. And that's where your future, you think, is lies. Yes. With the Maryland Horse Council, have there been things that you have learned through the council in doing your research? that you might not have run across otherwise? Absolutely. I've said this my entire career is it's all about people you can associate with, you're going to learn the most. So when I was in forensics and people were like, how do you get big in forensics? I was like, it's all about connections and the life being is all about connections and people who can help you get to where you want to be. And what I've noticed with the Maryland Horse Council is there's so many resources. I haven't even begun to tap into them and contact people who can assist me and maybe give me guidance in the direction that we want to take the farm in the business. That's probably the greatest reward is all these subject matter experts it's referring me to other people and helping really create that vision so that it's, it's the most meaningful. And like you described earlier, it's the cycle of learning, giving back, exchanging, moving forward. All boats rise together, right? You bring the drafts into the Maryland Horse Council on the board. And in return, you get this wonderful trade association, everything from where to get your trailer inspected and how you get a trailer inspected and how do you drive a truck and trailer? 
all the way to where are the vets, where's the farriers, what are we doing, where do we put the manure, how do we put the manure, who wears helmets, who doesn't, where are the legislative pieces. All of that is part of the horse council. Absolutely. And one of my greatest rewards is when I have someone reach out to me who is a new Clyde owner and they're asking all those questions, which are the same questions I asked when I started with Clyde. And I feel like I can help give them a more direct path and streamline the care that they have. Not only that, but with the Maryland Horse Council, it is through the contacts. Just this next Saturday, our farm was in two large parades and also another event where we were bringing Santa in by horse and buggy. So these experiences and exposures are opened up because of connections and people that we've met. And that's how we roll. I don't know what else to say to that one. <laughs> Paige Etzler, if we wanted to find you, how do we find your farm? We are on Facebook. It's Clyde Stales of Good Intentions Farm. You can send us a message. And also, we're at Kemar Road. We're a Maryland Horse Discovery Center. So we will be open to the public by appointment. And we love visitors. I think it's wonderful that you have a community there because anybody who knows horses, I know that I'm doing this as an addendum here, but anybody who knows horses knows that you need care. And having the neighbors and that community and the farm around you really makes everything when you're doing a little extra special. Yes. And like I said, we're like a co-op. So it's not farm is owned by Paige. We all take care of it. We've got blackberry orchard, apple orchard. Everybody's there to enjoy and partake in it. And everybody contributes as well. I'm glad you're serving on our board. And I'm glad that you took the time to get to know us and get to know all of our listeners out there. We look forward to seeing you at many of our events. Great. Thank you so much for inviting me. Today's program is brought to you by Equus. Equus entered the pet grooming business in 1991 with 40 years of experience in the manufacturing of human professional salon beauty products. It's important to understand the highest quality human grade products are used in the Equus product line, making them unique in the market. 